I'm Arya Grossman. And I'm Alex Drucker. Welcome to the Corin Podcast. Every week on the Corin Podcast, we invite you into the conversations with some of the Jewish world's leading thinkers, leaders, educators, and us to discuss the key issues, the ups and the downs, the challenges and the successes facing us today. This is not a podcast about books, but about what's happening off the page. Shalom from Jerusalem and welcome back to another episode of the Karen Podcast. As always, we've got a wonderful episode lined up for you this week. Arieh, what have we got in store? Well, today we're going to be looking at the representation of women in Jewish education, uh, both in Chutzlaretz, but also in Israel as well, and hearing from Dr. Shana Strauch-Schick and Rabbanit Racheli Sprecher-Frankel. Without further ado, let's jump straight in. We're delighted to welcome to the podcast today, Dr. Shana Strauch-Schick. Um, thank you so much for joining us on the Quorum Podcast. It's such a pleasure to be here. Uh, thank you for having me. So in our episode today, we're exploring the roles and representation of female Jewish educators in educational forums. And to start us off, um, could you give us give our listeners a little bit of the historic background to this discussion um, and maybe what led you to write the recent piece about it? Well, I'll start with your second question. What led us to write this piece about it in the Lair House? Uh, first of all, I think it's, it's just, this is very much a discussion of this moment right now in you know wider culture. Um, certainly there's been kind of a reckon, reckoning or a wider discussion about um, you know, certain gender problems represent attestations and a treatment just in the la- larger world um, right now. And so it's not surprising that this then uh, uh, heaps into our community as well. Um, you know, organizations like Chachmat uh, Nashim, which uh, are very much... Um, discussing the you know, lack of women in uh, publications and just the eraser of women in certain um, public settings. But um, on a more personal level, this is a reality that you know, I have lived with for basically my adult life and has uh, shaped many of the decisions I have made. So historically, you know, I, I don't know, you know, how much women were involved in public forums earlier, you know, before the larger women's movement, other than the role of Rebetzin. Um, they're certainly in uh, Europe, you know, when before some of the uh, shuls had Ezra Nashim's built in uh, to them, there were uh, separate shuls for women where often women would leave either the tefillot or, you know, the, whatever they would be learning in Yiddish and our uh, the language that they uh, spoke. But in more recent years, um, it seems like this became more of a discussion when, you know, after the women's movement, when women um, were uh, afforded more uh, public opportunities in a secular life as well. Um, and as women are uh, afforded more educational opportunities and um, 
are seen as being on equal uh, footing as men in the secular world, this becomes more of a question in the, in the Orthodox world as well, and particularly in the modern Orthodox world where we do embrace um, these uh, values um, and where modern Orthodox women are given every educational opportunity, they excel in their uh, careers, and, you know, aren't seen as having any uh, career kind of um, out of hands for them. But then there's this dissonance uh, within the Orthodox world where then, you know, there are a lot of things are off limit and where women's voices are not as much heard. This is, you know, like I said, this is part of a larger conversation. And if you could expand on that just, just a little bit, that... Uh... You identified in your piece in the Lairhouse um, that one of the reasons um, why uh, women sometimes underrepresented, certainly in uh, on panels, is I think is the example that you give in the piece, um, is because women are doing this cost-benefit analysis all the time, um, either in a way that men aren't doing or in a very different way um, their male colleagues might be doing it, um, and this leads them to turn down the opportunities. Um, even like even when they are invited. Uh, so what factors do you think are causing women to exercise sort of a greater caution uh, compared to their male colleagues in, in this area? Um, so there are a number of uh, factors which I know I have considered and I know other women do as well. Um, so uh, first, first I do want to say that really women are often not invited. That, that, that really is a very uh, strong uh, factor that there isn't so much to say about it. We didn't give that much uh, space to it in the piece because how many different ways can you say that? But it's really the case that women are not invited much of the time. But there are several reasons why women turn down even when we are. And one is a feeling that you're going to be uh, placed under a level of a scrutiny that men will just not be, that your religious commitment will be um, a question, your motives, and whatever you say is really going to be just a scrutinized to a really um, extreme level of what you say is going to be uh, picked apart. Um, you're not going to be given the benefit of uh, charitable and interpretation the way most men will be uh, given. And um, your, vo your view is going to be representative of, you know, women, all women. And so what you say is, gonna, you know, going to be used <laughs> you know, for other women as well. You know, well, this is why we don't invite women because this woman said this and this. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I can say in the opposite why both I and other women I know have turned to academia is because, and this is certainly not to say that there aren't gender problems in academia as well, and especially in Israel where there are, you know, universities where there's really not one woman and in certain departments. So I'm not saying there aren't problems there too. But I know when I write an academic piece, it's going to be looked at in its own merit. Um, it's not going to be looked at a piece written by the woman. 
Um, it's not going to be judged in a different way from what a, a man is going to write. And it's going to be criticized or praised for its own merit. And I don't feel like it's going to um, uh, cause any personal scrutiny to me or my uh, beliefs, or again, my, my religious commitment or my motives. Um, and so, um, you know, and, and this is based on not only my experience and other women's experience, but the reactions I have seen by male colleagues um, to, you know, to what, to what women write or what they uh, uh, say. And this is certainly, you know, I'm not even going to the fact that we're talking about, you know, married women and, you know, what non-married women, uh, the challenges uh, face there as well. And I don't think it's a coincidence that earlier on, the women who were more out there, either, you know, uh, speaking, writing, or opening institutions were women who were either married to or the uh, daughters of rabbis, which gave them that, you know, institutional authority or authenticity. Um, and another uh, factor is that now in general, women are often seen as not uh, knowing as much as men. But I think this has come compounded in uh, uh, Judaism where men are seen as the authentic arbiters of Mesorah. Um, and so even though women can have their opinions, they are almost inherently not as legitimate as men. And you know, women are, I think, often seen as being less not only authoritative, but less authentic when it comes to any uh, serious halachic matter or any uh, serious interpretation of halacha, because the halachic process doesn't allow women to be part of the chain of an interpreter in halacha. So when a woman is in is part of a conversation. Her view, if it's as long as it isn't a challenging kind of a male who's seen as authentic, is often seen as illegitimate. Um, so it's not that women have imposter syndrome per se, but it's that women are often seen as being imposters, and not only by a male audience, but by a female audience as well. And I think that can often feed into this, you know, you know you're going to be seen as less authoritative. And that often does make some women feel as being less so. Um, and also, there is a, a feel for some women that they'll be invited as the uh, token woman, being representative of all women, and not being invited for what she has to say for her knowledge. Um, and again, that does exist in other places as well. But at least in academia, even if that does happen, you know 
that the substance of what you say, of what you've written about, of what you're presenting still matters in its own right and not just because you're the woman there. Um, so, I mean, you mentioned, touched on this a little bit in your answer, but to sort of uh, go a, a little bit deeper, to what extent do you think the disparity um, in published or public representation of female educators and scholars is also a result of history of opportunities for high-level Jewish education for women and might you know they might have only been available to women for a few decades compared to the centuries that it's been available for men yeah I mean that absolutely has something to do with it as well um you know it has to be remembered that for much of his history most men probably weren't learning either. It was the domain of a, of a select elite of people learning. Um, and it was not, you know, kind of this mass expectation um, of all orthodox boys and then men as it is uh, today. Um, but uh, certainly um, women's learning is not that old, relative. Um, but, you know, it's not just the opportunities because, often, you know, there are some schools where non-orthodox uh, schools where girls are given opportunities, but it's also a result of expectation. Um, and we often don't have the same expectations for girls as we do of, of, of boys. Um, I mean, Talmud uh, study has been seen as the uh, central to the religious and intellectual formation of traditional Judaism. And uh, to the extent that it's not seen as uh, central to women's education, then women are not going to be seen as having the same intellectual or religious makeup as men. However, there are, there are many, many, or there, there, there are women out there. There are very learned women. There are very uh, smart women. Um, and after the, the, the piece, I got you know, several different reactions. And one of them was from a few you know, publishers or organizers who say, well, we do invite women. I asked, you know, so-and-so so woman. So I said, well, what about, like, that's great. And I'm uh, sorry she didn't say yes. What about this woman? Oh, I don't know her. Well, what about that woman? I also don't know her. So, you know, yes, maybe there are less women than men, maybe. Um, there are less uh, rigorous uh, Talmud uh, programs for women than there are for men, but there are uh, still women out there. Um, and there are women who want to be heard and who want to write, but uh, just don't always get the opportunity to or feel hesitant to uh, do so because um, often because of these reasons. So you mentioned uh, a couple of the responses that you had uh, to the piece on, on the Lighthouse and we'll, we'll link to your piece on the, on, uh, on the Lighthouse in the show notes. Um, but one of the responses which was also published there um, put forward the argument that perhaps the 
the inequality of outcome in, in uh, opportunities for women in the academic sphere and in the Tara learning sphere um, is not necessarily the result of an inequality of opportunity. The opportunities are there. Um, I'd be interested to hear sort of your response to, to that argument specifically. Well, I don't want to you know, paraphrase someone else's words, but some what I got out of it was women often don't want to and don't make them. They don't want to and that's their right. And I agree with that. And the first, one of the first lines we said was, of course there are women as well as men who don't want to uh, speak or write. And that of course is their right. And we're not talking about those people. We're not talking about people who don't want to. We're talking about people who do want to and don't get the opportunities. Um, and also, I know, um, I know the author and that um, the goal is, her goal is to empower women to pursue their own goals. And so don't uh, force people to do things if they don't want to. And, and I think that was part of the underlying message about the response. Um, however, the concern that I have is that that kind of response might send the wrong message. That that response might send the message that most women don't want to participate in public discourse. And that this uh, therefore can give organizers or uh, publishers who are, you know, at best make meager efforts, if at all, to include women that this gives them an out or a cover to say, look, even a well-respected modern Orthodox woman says that this is a, a woman's thing. So see, women don't want to do this. So we don't have to invite women. Um, and uh, furthermore, yes, this is, um, a f this does exist in the secular world as well. However, First of all, I think, at least now in the secular world, most people are conscious that this is a problem and do make efforts to try to systematically address it. Moreover, it's so clearly not to the same degree um, that women are excluded from the secular world in areas to our religious world. Um, and I see this within this very same women them selves. Uh, I know many capable women who are well-known and respected public figures in uh, secular uh, fields, but they're much more reticent to uh, put themselves in the quote uh, spotlight, as it were, in the religious world. And I, I think of an experience, you know, I once, I've had many experience, but one that really uh, sticks out for me is I was once giving a class on a different matter. And one of the women there said, well, you know, I don't like to you know, put myself out there and be kind of a public. To which I said to her, yes, you do, you're a lawyer. And she laughed and was like, oh my gosh, you're right. And this, she was so unaware of this disc 
connect in this uh, cognitive uh, dissonance that we have, that we uh, make between the uh, two worlds that we inhabit, um, where you know, the same women who feel confident um, and open to being, you know, in, to be a public in the secular world, don't feel it's their place or don't feel that they're able to in a religious discourse, in a intellectual discourse. And that's clearly not a coincidence, clearly an indicative of many uh, factors, you know, uh, structural, um, just a deeper uh, factors that would lead to that, you know, for, you know, just simply women don't have uh, titles um, in the religious world, you know, a religious are titled um, the way men do. And for all the things that I also said be a four, you know, for women, if only men are seen as a, uh, uh, authentic arbiters of Ms. Hora, um, then women are often seen or uh, feel as not being authentic. Um, and so I don't think this is just a general issue and we can equally come compare it to, um, to what goes on in the secular world. And my final response is, so there are some women who don't want to, but should we not uh, care? I mean, this is clearly an issue. It's an issue for modern Orthodox people who we do embrace our values, which say, you know, men and women should be afforded the same educational opportunities. There's mutual respect. Um, and when no woman appears in a publication or no woman is invited to speak, at, um, you know, Leila Shavuot, or there's no women on a panel um, for, you know, public lectures um, or conferences, that's a problem. Um, it's a problem for the women who want to and don't get the opportunities to, who often then will either take their uh, talents to other realms and to academia, to the secular world. And in some cases, some women just leave the Orthodox world altogether because they don't feel there's a place um, for them. So it's a problem for the women. And it's also a problem for the community because we're not hearing you know, half of the population and we're, and we're not hearing from the voices of very uh, talented people who can, can attribute. And um, how we raise our uh, children. Um, and this kind of come repeating messages that we're giving them. Um, and uh, finally, other than the responses from organizers who say, well, I invite women and they, and she said, no. I also got responses from women who were uh, touched by what we wrote and who uh, told me that in the past they had been hesitant to speak or to write for many of the reasons which we wrote, and that after reading our piece, they felt not alone. Um, they felt that it wasn't them, you know, they realized that there is a, something larger going on. And in one case, the woman told me she had said yes to a panel that she was in, uh, invited to, um, 
you know, and encouraged by our peace to do so. So, you know, clearly this is an issue and it's an issue we should care about. Yeah, for sure. And I guess looking to, I guess, the next next stages or next steps, what would you say is your ideal image for equality in the Jewish educational or maybe the Jewish academic sphere? Um, that's an excellent uh, question. <laughs> and, uh, you know, one I um, think a lot about. And in terms of education, um, I, I think that um, we should offer boys and girls the same educational opportunities, um, but we also have to have the same high expectations um, and to not get trapped into, which George W. Bush said, the soft uh, bigotry of low expectations. <clears throat> now, meaning we certainly expect a lot from our girls and often uh, girls' schools in many areas are more rigorous than a boys' schools. And I have a son and a daughter who are roughly the same age in middle uh, school. I see the girls get a lot of work and a test, but there's this uh, certain expectations, but there are many expectations we place on boys that we don't place on girls and in many uh, schools. Even when girls are given a Gemara option, it's an option. Um, it's not mandatory. And you know, as I said uh, previously, if Talmud study is the foundational and um, intellectual and religious element of our religious life and practice and experience, then when we don't expect that of our girls, we're giving a message that their intellectual and religious status is not the same as men. And I'm not saying every woman has to learn any more than I'm saying every, every a man has to learn. And learning is not for every man either. Um, and I'm not saying every woman has to learn. But if we, if we don't at least expect it, then we shouldn't be surprised when it's not what women want to uh, do. So we have to expect a lot. I mean, in a good, healthy way, of course, and not a pressure, and that's uh, something that we have to uh, balance with uh, boys as well. I do think it's also important to have female uh, teachers. You know, I, I see and uh, I teach in uh, Adrisha in the... Uh, 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 summers and now over uh, Zoom uh, during the year. And um, I see what it's like being in a class when I'm the teacher for both male and female students and the atmosphere of the mutual respect that it really uh, creates, something I never anticipated having gone to uh, I went to all girls uh, schools and I thought only, you know, in terms of teaching um, women. Um, but uh, the atmosphere it uh, creates is really one of mutual respect. Now, I'm not saying to have, you know, pushing code education, but there has to be um, a balance of female educators as well. In terms of academia, the, the same thing. You, you definitely 
need more women and there are um, obviously you know, capable women. There are many women in the US, this is less of a problem, far less of a problem, the opposite, you know, where there is this awareness of the gender disparity. So there is definitely a push to hire more women, at least that's what I've heard. Um, if that's not someone's experience, yeah, I apologize. In Israel, that is definitely not the case. Um, and, uh, you know, I, some of that may uh, stem from the same uh, factors that we're discussing here. And that's, you know, a lot of uh, that uh, is, that ramifies in many aspects of Israeli society as well. You know, I'm calling one of the last elections where there were some uh, parties where it was just all men and no women. Um, so this is, you know, definitely um, an issue that ramifies in many aspects of Israeli uh, society. And it's not okay. We have to hear from different people's experiences. Um, I think many of us would be, uh, you know, put off, I would hope, if the, sorry, I'm American originally, but if the Supreme Court were only comprised of white men between the ages of, you know, 40 and 60, whatever. We recognize in the secular world that you have to have you know, multiple experiences and, and a backgrounds, because often we just don't know what it is to have another person's experience. And if we don't know, we often just their kind of turns are not ours. And it's not for a front on our mind, not because we're bad people, just because we don't know what it's like to have an experience that's not our own. And when our experience, and when we don't have that kind of CERN, it's often not going to be addressed. So uh, we've spoken about, you know, institutionally, um, you know, some things that need to be done. Uh, but as a call to action uh, on an individual level, what advice would you give to women and to girls uh, in the Jewish world, in the Jewish academic world, or just generally in the community um, to ensure that their voices are heard or not just to the girls, to, to everyone, to ensure that women's voices uh, are being heard and that you know, the changes that need to be made can happen? Um, I think in part, um, people who have the power, you know, who are on top, should, um, should reach out. And particularly, first I'll say, women who have already made it, who um, have positions, who are editors or who organize uh, panels or who are on shul committees should make sure to include women, to mentor women. Um, you know, one of the issues that's often raised about lack of women, and this is something in the secular world as well, you know, why there are less women and directors and CEOs and academics often because you know, men are the ones who are in authority and they tend to mentor other men just because of natural reasons of, of a comfort and you know, not wanting to cross any inappropriate lines or what have you. And so it's important for women who do already have a position to help 
um, other women who don't to mentor, um, read their work, invite them, and give them up for uh, opportunities. Um, and both male and uh, female editors, organizers have to be uh, conscious of the fact that it's not okay to only have men. And just because you invited the one woman that you happen to know, your friend's wife or a person's wife you know, or whatever, there are more women out there. And if the one or two you asked said no, don't give up because I promise there are many women who do want to. Um, so those are four, you know, it's, and, and of course, uh, which, which we uh, didn't write in the piece, which goes without saying, and I'm embarrassed that we didn't, but um, for women who are married with younger uh, uh, children, a childcare is often an impediment to speaking, to participating. So offer a childcare or, um, you know, some way to help out in that regard. For younger women, you know, I know it's easy to say lean in, but I, I know it's not always easy to. And I have uh, spoken to many younger women in um, who are learning uh, programs, who are trying to make it, and there often just aren't opportunities out there. Um, even when they really, really want and really uh, try to, and I know many young women, very, very learned, who opted therefore to go to medical school or law school or just other areas because of that, which is certainly, you know, that's, that's a great thing. I'm not you know, saying that's not a good, but who would have wanted to be involved in the Jewish world uh, career-wise were there opportunities open uh, to them. So I'm not going to leave, though, on that pessimistic note. I am, nevertheless, optimistic that uh, we st- there is, a progress has been made. And if we uh, give up, then, you know, that, that's not going to help anything either. So, yes, there aren't so many opportunities, but uh, we still, there are still things that can be uh, done. So if you can't get an older mentor or, you know, a more established one, read each other's work. Um, when I was writing my dissertation, uh, a few other women and I were in the same uh, place. We had a group where we would read each other's work and give uh, feedback and uh, encourage each other, give like uh, deadlines when we're going to be uh, done. And that could be, you know, that doesn't have to be an academic thing alone. That could be if you're writing an article or a religious publication that is an academic you know, have a group of other of people, it doesn't have to be women either, by the way, it could be men and women as well, where you read each other's work and give each other uh, deadlines. Volunteer to speak in your uh, shul. If they won't let you, then do it in your home. It's over, uh, everything's over uh, Zoom now. So, you know, you can make that happen maybe even more than you could have done so before. You know, often, and maybe I'm living in Israel too long where you get used to doing things without uh, pay, but um, sometimes, you know, give a sheer, even if it's out a pay, to people of your community. Give a Gemara class. Even if it's just, you know, three women who do it once a week, that is uh, still uh, touching the lives of those three women who come to it, or, yeah, men too. 
um, often the reason women aren't organ aren't in uh, invited to speak or to write is because the organizers who are often male just may not know you. And again, they may not, you know, since you know, many Orthodox men have been in all, generally all male institutions, um, just like many Orthodox women have been in all female institutions as well. They may, they may just not know you. And so I know it's often hard to put yourself out there, but, you know, put yourself out there and uh, contact editors. Um, you know, worst comes to worst, they'll ignore you and not, you know, write anything bad. Like, okay, we haven't lost anything. But it is worth it to just contact uh, people and uh, try to get your name out there. Um, because often, just a lot of women do go under the radar. And, um, and if you don't have a mentor, you know, reach out to someone you'd feel uh, comfortable, you know, just reach out to a person you would like to be a mentor. And again, worst comes to worst, they'll say no, or they'll ignore you, or they'll think you're annoying, you know, who cares? You, know, you, you, you haven't lost anything. Um, but very, you know, you know, I, I certainly, you know, would never, you know, no one would ever be annoyed by someone approaching them. Um, so, it is definitely worth it to reach out, um, even though I know that it can be very hard for one's ego, um, but it's definitely worth it. Uh, so Dr. Strauchik, thank you very much for, for joining us. We're conscious of your time, so we'll, we'll let you go now. Um, you know, as you said earlier on, your piece in the Lairhouse is only the beginning of the conversation, and I think we've touched upon some of the, the key points uh, to try and redress the balance. Um, of uh, female representation in certainly in the Jewish world, um, but there's a lot of work to be done. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll all together, us and our listeners, uh, will be able to do our part uh, to do so. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This has been really a fun experience. So I appreciate you uh, having me on. We're delighted to have with us Rabbanit Racheli Sprecher Frankel joining us on the Quran podcast. Rabbanit Frankel, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And before we go into the topic for today, um, as we mentioned in your bio, you're involved in both Matan and Nishmat, two of the most exciting centers and institutions for Jewish women's learning today. Can you tell us a bit about how you became involved in both of them? Um... I, I actually started uh, university doing other stuff, uh, biology, psychology, computers, checking out things, and eventually found out that um, my heart is in Bet Midrash, and um, luckily got, got the opportunity to, to study in the best of them. I, uh, my first stages were in Midrash in Barilan, and that actually... Uh, my father was uh, uh, an establisher of in, in the very early 70s, like one of the first institutions that uh, took uh, uh, women's Torah learning seriously. And um, by the time I came around, I spent some time in uh, Lindenbaum and, and then in Matan in the Talmudic Institute and later by the Yotzot. Uh It was an interesting experience because... Um, 
the, the Talmudic Institute of Matan, for instance, was a place where there was already over a decade and of, uh, of women learning Torah, learning Gemara, and these Batei Midrash, and there was a, a whole layer of women waiting for the next step. And, uh, and it came in the form of that advanced institute saying, okay, we, we know you got a year or two of Gemara, and now you're looking for something uh, deeper, maybe more, it's not the suitable word, but professional. Um, and, and then the, the group that created at the time the, the first graduating class of, of that program, it was like a three-year program, a full program, um, is, is, is all over the place. And, and, you know, I could start naming the, the names and they're at the top of Torah learning for women all over. Um, and they're also very, very good close friends. Then I was looking to, to start working and continue learning. And uh, I found out about the Yotzot program. Now, I came for the books and I stayed because of the people, meaning at first when I, when I approached the whole world of Yotzot Alacha, I had no idea that there is such a tremendous aspect of service to it. Um, I, 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 you know, I, I was thinking of uh, you know, the, the, the halachic material and how I want to be more uh, literate in it and, and, and grow within. And it took me a while to realize that what you're doing there is answering a tremendous need, that you're dealing with people's uh, most intimate uh, details in life and things that are very critical to them. And you, and you, peet, you, you, you meet people in times of need and, and that took over me altogether. You know, being, being in, in such a place was uh, a whole new world of Torah, world, of Torah learning in, in the sense of, of giving a service to and giving back to the community. So uh, that's how one thing rolled to the other, and slowly I started uh, teaching uh, Gemara, Halakha, uh, working as a Yotz Talakha in different, um, uh, different roles that we play, and um, at some point uh, traveling to communities abroad as a voice of Torah from Eretz Israel. and that later on, later on grew uh, to be a larger part of my work. But. Um, I, I, I must say, I was lucky enough um, to be the second generation of this because um, people like Rav Bravender that started uh, Lindenbaum and Malkabina that uh, to this day is the you know established and dean of Matan and Hannah Henkin that to this day established Nishmat and, and is the dean of it. Those women really had to fight for it. And they brought an idea that was so novel that um, people didn't take seriously. And the ones that took it seriously took it as a threatening idea. And it, it wasn't easy at all. And by the time my friends and me came, there was, there was interest. There, was, uh, there, were scholarships. there, was, there were scholarships. There were real ways to encourage women to, to spend the time uh, learning Torah in, in, in the devotion that it, that it needs. So in, in that sense, I got very, very lucky. Um, so you said that, you know, recently you've started traveling to sort of be a voice of, of Torah from Eretz Yisrael. Um, so could you speak a little bit about 
what differences and what similarities you've seen between Jewish education, uh, both there in, in the diaspora in Chutzlaret and here in Israel, and particularly in terms of, of women's involvement? You know, I, I don't know the, the, the educational systems abroad very well, so I, I can't really speak a lot about, about, about the way uh, Jewish education is structured in, in Chutzlaret and, uh, and things like that. I, 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 for years already, there's, there's um, things that we learn in places like Nishmat, where you have um, students post high school coming for a gap year program, and you have Israelis that, first of all, Israelis and also are two years older because they're, they're usually post um, national or army service. So you get, you get all the gaps. And besides that, you also see their approach to, to Torah, what, they, what they're looking for in Torah. And, and over the years, we, we, had, uh, we had things to say about it. Um, uh, the, the, the girls that came from abroad were oriented towards um, knowledge and, and the, the academic uh, um, side of, of Torah, Torah scholarship. And the Israelis over the years, and of course, this is a total generalization, but in general, uh, we're looking what in, they, they call lehitchaber. They, they, within the world of, of Torah, they wanted to connect uh, with their soul, with their emotional world, with their, you know, anything like Agmara, they, they would, they study, they want to, they want to, they're constantly asking, um, how does this contribute to my, to my Avodat Hashem, to my uh, worship, to my Rachamayim? And some of these things changed over the years. For instance, uh, it's like in America, the, I, I think the books of Rav Shagar are making their first uh, steps around and these ideas. Uh, so so it, it, a bit of the, of the spirit of the times is changing and, and some of the American girls are looking for more of that kind of spiritual connection. And some of the Israeli girls are letting themselves uh, be more academic about, about uh, the scholarship itself. But there are differences in, uh, in, in the way they approach to our learning, some of which are a result of the educational systems, and some is, is, is a whole cultural environment. Um, there are other there are other differences, um, not necessarily uh, pertaining to to the educational uh, side of things. Um, say the, the 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 role of women that that learn Torah and develop in, to, in Torah, uh, and how is how the dynamics of of how it happens in America and Israel are are quite different, um, and and. And therefore, they also have a different effect. I'll, I'll, I'll try to explain. Um, most of the, of the Torah learning of, of women in previous decades, in the very beginning, was a direct result of, of American Jewry. Uh, the heads of all the institutions were, were olim from, uh, from America. They brought a spirit of uh, a certain amount of openness, maybe uh, some more feminism, um, uh, uh, a creativity, and a, and, a, and a push to change things and develop things that, that was a, a spice that American Jewry brought to, to, to this place. And... 
Then over the years, while these, these institutions grew here and, and developed here in Israel, um, the, the involvement and the integration of the graduates of these institutions in our communities and in our schools had a bit more of an organic dynamic to it. I, um, for instance, in America, there were tremendous uh, tensions around, around what titles would, would learned uh, women that are involved in, in the community or leadership roles in the community. How are we going to call them? Yeah? And, and that created you know, real scandals uh, without even mentioning the, the, the different titles uh, possible. In Israel, Israelis in general, there are no titles. <laughs> There, there are hardly any paid jobs. So the whole environment is, you know, if things happen within this structure of a, of a, of a religious community, it, it's more of a grassroots project, uh, a growing um, influence of, of a learned woman or people turning to, to her to ask questions or the students that you accumulate over years and, and become a bit of a, of a secondary community. Um, that are just, those are just things that happen as they go. And, and since nobody was going to pay her for it and she wasn't going to get a title and wasn't going to get a major role in one of these prestigious communities that don't exist in Israel, there was a lot less tension around this. And, and that was a blessing. Um, one of the things we, that we thought to speak about uh, was, was what can we learn from America? And, and we have loads to learn from America regarding um, the, the structure of communities and, and the, the way Jewish life is organized. And really, our communities in Israel have so much to learn. But here in this instance, we kind of gained from the from the chaos uh, because things were taken for more or less on face value and and if you give a service and and you have the the halachic backing to do it and you and you're in touch and you keep open communication routes with um with with poskim with rabbanim so so at some point people say wow this is so beneficial and and they don't make a big deal of it. It's not as threatening as, as some of these things uh, were at certain points in America. Um, so you were asking the big questions of, uh, of comparison, comparison and, and what differences did I, did I find? It's, it's hard to, to point to, to very specific things, but something about the air of the growth of, uh, of women in Israel was, was calm was uh, wasn't uh, wasn't so explosive and that let people do things in a in a different manner besides you know being in you, you get to go to all types of communities around America and you know there's modern orthodox there's modern modern orthodox and and the way the the Israel Nashim is built and the way the Mechitza is built or, or lack thereof or or the the places where where um, you're asked to speak between uh, Shachrit and Musaf in uh, in Tfilat Shabbat the places where you're asked to speak in Kiddush the places so you find there's even in America there's a variety and a lot of that doesn't happen in Israel in Orthodox communities at all. 
like a, a person that's brought in as a scholar in residence that's uh, that for itself hardly happens in Israel um, but uh, say someone was brought in as a guest uh, it's hardly ever a woman and and if it is she would never in in most 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 orthodox communities she would never speak from the pulpit um, except for things that have been happening for the last three four five years uh, through projects of Kolech that uh, you know there's a once a year project that's called Shabbat Dorshotov where uh, communities inv invite uh, learned women to speak by them and then again it depends on the, on the community what's right for them uh, is it going to be uh, you know as part of the tefillah is it going to be in the afternoon but these are things that are quite developed in America and uh, not so developed at all in Israel so I, I don't have this, uh, what we call Mishnas Dua, uh, a whole Torah to tell you about it, but there are differences, and some of them are very significant. Um, you mentioned before, um, when we were talking a bit about sort of how you came into your different positions now, um, you've obviously been at the forefront of some of the most exciting innovations for women in Jewish education over recent times, the Yawatsat Halacha program at Nishmat, the Hilchata program at Matan. What impact have you seen of these programs, both on communities here in Israel and maybe also in the in Chutzaritz, in the diaspora as well? Historically, the combination of the fact that um, there are women that are capable of learning poskim, rishonim, shutim, you know, what, the, whole, the whole syllabus of, uh, of halacha and specifically here, halacha of family purity, uh, kind of um, uh, met uh, uh, another thing that happened in the world, and that is uh, people's tendency tendency to be very private about about um, you know their their uh, intimate halachic questions, and uh, a sense of autonomy that didn't exist in, in, in previous generation to this extent. Uh, I mean, to this day, people that have a very close relationship with a Rav or a Yoetzet uh, open up the most intimate details. But something about the way a woman grows up today and, and then, I won't say it in the blunt way, but says, I'm expected to ask that question to, to show this thing, uh, to, to a rabbi, you know, to the guy with the long beard that I meet in shul afterwards. Um, that intersection of, of a sense of autonomy, of a sense of privacy, of a sense of um, agency on, on your body and, and, and what happens to you, uh, developed in the same time Be'erech, that, that women were capable to, to, to start these uh, learning in these programs. And uh, as, as uh, Rabbi Tenkin would say, uh, she met someone in the street that was suffering ter terribly because, because of questions that were never asked. And we discovered their unbelievable amounts of dormant questions. And usually when a question is not asked, there are prices that are paid. 
sometimes the prices of, of people that, uh, you know, make a lenient mistake in halacha, mostly the prices are for young couples that, or not young, couples throughout their lives that for uh, prolonged periods of times suffer from problems that could be answered easily if there would have been open communication uh, channels. And for a woman to speak about intimate things with a woman makes all the difference in, in the world. Now, for generations, there were people that gave an intermediate uh, service. You know, uh, I'll, I'm the Reviton, I'll ask the rabbi, uh, you know, I'll, that's, that's a broken phone line. It's, uh, it's, you don't get full information, you don't get full openness, you don't know what to ask and how to ask. The, it's not, it's not the, the optimal way to, to discuss a halacha question. And once that was opened, the, the sky is, you know, the limit. There's so many things that, uh, regarding fertility and, and uh, tensions within, within um, um, couples and marriages and uh, tensions that uh, derive from, from differences between, in, in religious observance, like in, in observance. In Israel, there, there are many uh, couples that one of the couple is secular. The whole, the whole uh, array of, uh, of uh, issues. And once the conversation got going with, with women that knew the halakha through and through, uh, it, it was a new level of conversation. And the classic uh, story, uh, and, and I'll leave you at that as far as this is concerned, is of a yoetzet of a that was invited to, to work as a yoetzet in a community in, uh, in the state. In the East Coast, and in the very, very beginning, the rabbi said, "You know, I'm on your side. I, I, I brought you here, even though there were others that were prote- protesting. I just don't want you to get disappointed. I get, you know, like a handful of of questions every month. And the first month she was there, there were 200 questions, and 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 it grew, and it, it grew exponentially. And and if you're there, and if the conversation is is open, things happen." And um, it, that, that's a tremendous service. When, when Corona started, um, community rabbis could testify that so many issues came up on a, on a community level. And a lot of the issues that came up had to do with uh, mikveh immersion and, and everything that had to do with that and the tensions and, and the, the health risks. And Yotzot Aracha in Nishmat, like other places, made a very, very, very intense uh, effort to address all of this, both in getting accurate information from the ministries of health and, and to create corporations that actually changed the, the wording of laws uh, as, as the corona was run in Israel. Um, it, it, they had a lot to do with uh, lowering anxieties of people once you give them accurate information, once you, again, the, the conversation is open. And a secondary thing that happened, it started with these issues of, uh, of um, mikvah and, and family purity, but because the Yotzat were the professionals on this with a lot of, a lot of information, a lot of exposure, a lot, a lot of connection, WhatsApp groups uh, started with rabbis that on, on, on a regular day wouldn't have a halachic discussion with a, with a, with a woman. 
I mean to say their place is like uh, Bet Hillel, that's a rabbinical organization that uh, members are both uh, women and, and men, and, and there there's amazing communication between Talmidei and Talmidot Chachamim. But the, the right part of the, of the map of rabbis in Israel is um, not in the habit of, uh, of speaking to, to Talmidot Chachamim. And somehow Corona and the issues of mikveh that we were really the experts on, um, of course, they're, they're experts too in the, in the halacha, but we, were, we had all the information, uh, even in practical terms, started uh, creating new spaces where uh, someone that wouldn't have had the, the opportunity now has a, a conversation with Big Talmidei Chachamim that are on the on the right side of the of the map, and Talmidot Chachamim that are also on the right side of the map, but wouldn't have spoken to each other directly otherwise. And a lot of development uh, happened there, and it's very exciting. Uh, as far as Hilchata goes, Hilchata is in Matan, and again, these are women that are already experts in in their field. In in as far as teaching many years Gemara and learning many years uh, Halakha. Some are Tonot Rabbaniyot, some are Yoratzot Halakha, some are Ramiyot in, uh, in Midrashot. And Hilcheta is the next step saying, let's complete your Halachic education. Let's learn Isur Veter. Let's learn uh, Shabbat and Yom Tov and on, on, on the highest level. Uh, let's let's uh, learn Evan Ezer that has to do with personal status. and. Um, let's get a complete halachic education. It doesn't make sense that a student of mine would ask something about a sugya to me and about machshava maybe to me and about family purity to me, but if she'll ask me something simple in Ilchot Shabbat, I'll say, oops, go to the next door rabbi. So that's Hilchata and it's amazing. I spoke so much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, you know, <laughs> we're, we're in, in thrall. Um, I mean, that's, these are these are incredible programs that are, are taking place, and it's it's. I mean, I'm just blown away just being able to hear about it from from you, and the, the passion that you have for it is really coming through. Um, I suppose the question I have is is how how significant is it that these innovations, that Hilchata and that um, the Yotza Halacha uh, or Bet Hillel, all these places, how important, how significant is it that all of these developments are coming um, from from Israel? Not to say there's nothing happening in Chutz Aretz, but all of these like really big sort of the programs that are churning out these massive, you know, learned women. It's coming from Israel, uh, I suppose. So anyway. first, it's uh, it seems like uh, the proper way for things to happen. You know, Kimitzion um, I mentioned that the the originators of of most of these programs were were mostly uh, Americans, and. It's wonderful to be in a point where you can give back, big back give back both in, uh, in training uh, women to go and work in uh, communities abroad. For instance, uh, there, in New York, there's a Nishmat program for training Yotzot Alacha, the equivalent of what happens here, because uh, we needed people that live in America to serve America, American communities. In Matan, there's a program that uh, gives very high-level uh, Tanakh education to uh, to women coming to for for limited periods of time, a year or two, to Israel, uh, hoping that they go back to their schools in America 
and and give uh, the highest Tanakh education to to boys and girls uh, depending on on the educational system so th there's something really amazing about the ability um, to reach out to to communities abroad um, for me it's a, you know it's, it's like a prophecy come true um, people learning Torah here and we know we're all very aware that there are more Torah learners today in the Jewish world than ever in Jewish history and there are more yeshivot in Eretz Israel than ever in Jewish history and and the fact that this happens uh, also in, in the in the women's Torah learning is is just an amazing part of it for me it's uh, it's it's part of uh, geula um, there there are there are languages to be learned but that's uh, that's you know it's it's like it used to be that uh, american jews knew all about rav sovetchik and rav feinstein you know in machshava and alakha and different things like that and israelis knew uh, as if it were two separate worlds. I mean, the Talmudic Chachamim knew of each other, but but uh, a person living in Israel um, would be either here or here. And today, there's a lot of exchange. There's a lot of uh, of mutual growth, of of exposure to to new thought. We mentioned Rav Shagar's book. You know, Rav Shagar, I'm saying Dafka Rav Shagar because he's like. I couldn't think of something more opposite than 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 the common uh, uh, orthodox idea in uh, in New York uh, for 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 decades. And here comes someone who's totally different, very challenging. You don't have to agree with him, but you start reading the books and 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 even if you if you develop to the contrary, you, you acquired another language, you acquired, acquired another way of thinking, you, you think of different parts of our problems in the world. Uh, to me, it's amazing. And, and, you know, and it's totally reciprocal. Uh, of course, El Tisrael is dominant, but it is reciprocal. Just to, to mention how devastated we are at losing Rav Zaks. Um, a few years ago, Israelis would have known nothing about Rav Zaks. And today you walk around and you, you only hear people saying, but we could have gotten another 10, 20, 30 years of this unbelievable treasure and they're heartbroken. Uh, and this is a person that spent very uh, small amounts of his time in Israel. So. Um, you mentioned before, and obviously it does, obviously will vary across like the spectrum here in israel but what does the discussion regarding women's torah leadership look like in dati lumi communities uh in israel um in terms of you know if i was to go to a moshav or a kibbutz in the north uh, or somewhere in israel in a typical if there's such a thing a typical dati lumi community what does this discussion look like there's no clear-cut answer to that um communities vary a lot and especially the the strong and positive conservative powers in a community, the ones that uh, preserve the 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 cloth of you know of, the, of what what a community is created from, uh, that differs from from place to place, and the the changes and the pace and changes and and the 
official roles uh, depend. You know, you, you can't compare Efrat to, uh, to uh, I don't know, Kirillat Moshe. Um, and yet you would find in, in almost all these places um, an openness to, to uh, learn Torah also from women. Um, very dominant figures, uh, you know, I mentioned my bosses, but also uh, even popular f- figures like Sivan Rav Meir uh, became some of the biggest Torah, Torah, Torah teachers in, in the generation. And nobody stops and says, oh, it's a woman, why should we listen to her? It, that's so irrelevant. Yamima uh, Mizrahi, Shani um, Taragin, you know, there's, there's no shortage of, of talented uh, women that, that people are very thirsty to hear from. Uh, as far as local leadership, it, it really depends on, on what grows from the community. Um, I know some communities that, you know, you'd think, oh, they're out there in the north. What do they have to do with the, the little puddle in Yerushalayim of women carrying a Gemara in their hand? Uh, and, and some of them are the most, uh, I don't want to use the, the word progressive because some of the connotation is, uh, is negative, but the, the most open to, to accept the contribution that women could bring into Torah life in their community. Really, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be naive for a second, but consciously naive. There's nothing threatening about it, you know. If there's a woman you can turn to and ask halacha questions, if there's a, a woman that, that can share your, your trouble and, and, and give you Torah support, if there's a woman that, uh, that can help educate, first of all, your, your, your girls, but also affect the general community, if, uh, you know, why would anybody want to to uh, give up on that? It's to me it it it, it uh, reminds me of the description of the Lubavitcher that says that even though the beginning of Torah learning for for women started because of you know the problems and Yeridat uh, Adorot and and we had to find a solution and let women learn, uh, it's actually pro- part of the process of Reula. It doubles the amount of Torah learners and teachers in Am Israel. It uh, it, it has endless potential. Um, I, I do, if you've noticed, I, I, I'm very, very conscious of the different pace in every community. And I, I feel that uh, there's a lot of respect to be paid to, to tradition, to what people are used to. And, and innovations, if they're halachic, should be introduced, but in, in constant communication with, uh, with people's feelings, people's thoughts, where, where people are at. Um, a lot of time, things come from an unexpected direction. Like uh, you'd have a big, uh, I don't know, tension or argument around uh, holding a Sefer Torah and Simchat Torah or something like that, something very um, outward uh, in a specific community. But right there in the same community, you have someone who everybody turns to for, uh, for halachic support and, and family purity. And then it, she goes ahead and she, she, she's very versed in Dinah Velut. So she's the first with the rabbi, not, not uh, uh, to exclude him, uh, to work with families that are grieving. Um, there's so many services that people like this could give to their community that uh, it's just about doing it with uh, 
wisely, of course, halachically, but uh, respecting people's uh, pace. Recently, the, part of the, uh, the impetus for this episode was uh, a piece written in the Lairhouse by um, Dr. Shana Shout Shik, uh, who we also spoke to uh, for this episode. Um, but there's been a, an increasing discussion recently regarding um, creating or increasing equality for female educators in the Jewish, uh, Jewish setting. Um, with many feeling that there's a huge amount of work still to be done. Um, just from your own experience um, and, you know, amongst your uh, your circle, and just bearing in mind from, from what you're saying, the, the role of the female educator in Israel, or at least the female leader in Israel, is, is much more organic. Um, is, is this a challenge that you've encountered in your career as a Jewish educator of sort of be, being left out or sort of being passed over uh, for opportunities, whereas you know a man has come in to to take a role, or is it something that you think, uh, you know, not something that you've encountered so much? You mean accept the Corona minion right outside my my home that you know I stand there every time and they never count me, right? You don't you don't mean that. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, okay, since most religious education in Israel is is separate, okay. Uh, high schools are separate, most elementary schools are separate, um, midrashot are separate from yeshivot, separate in the sense that women are, and men are educated separately. Um, in, in most boys' schools, they're very, very, um, uh, there is a very small amount um, of appointments for women, okay? Uh, the, you, you won't find many women teaching boys. It used to be traditionally that in the in the girls' school you'd find lots and lots of, of rabbis, and the principal would be the rabbi, and the deputy. You know, all all the jobs uh, were were taken by men, and and that is changing rapidly. Um, when if someone needs a rosh ulpena ahead of a, of a girls' high school, uh, it's it's I wouldn't even try to apply if you're a man. Uh, they, the, the idea is um, you want a role model, you want someone that the girls could look up to and say, I could be that, um, someone who could connect in a, in a very personal way, uh, someone you wouldn't be afraid of in, as far as being too intimate with the girls. Uh, the, the, the roles in girls' education are very quickly uh, filled by, by women. Um, what I'm uh, happy to see, and I think is very important, should happen even more, is that the the parts of that education that are Torah uh, learning, halacha, Torah shebal pe, navi, tanach would be, the teachers who who do that should should be trained in in the highest uh, uh, levels of of Torah training. Uh, because you could be a, a Morele Tanakh that, that knows the, the four prakim that you need to teach uh, this month. But you could be a Morele Tanakh that brings all of Yahadut to, to the classroom, that brings all of your, uh, the depth and the richness of your Jewish world. And for that, you need to learn. So, so it's happening, but that's something that needs to happen more and more. Uh, that the the education and the training for the teachers would would offer uh, Jewish studies in the highest level. Um, 
My experience is the reverse. Uh, there are many, many opportunities that you get because you're a woman, at least in Israel, because there's a growing um, idea that you don't want to see that, that panel table with uh, eight beards and, and one shaven rabbi, but, but no woman. Um, you want to hear women's voices, women's ex women expect it, the community expect it. Uh, people comment when, when you see a, a, you know, a publication, you know, an, an advertisement, advertisement and there are no women that take part of, in it. And since in so many occasions they look for the woman, so sometimes I, I feel I'm, giving up, I'm given an opportunity almost just because I'm a woman. That's exaggerating. But, uh, but sometimes you, you know, once the, the, the awareness is, is there, uh, um, now, at least in Israel, there's a, there's a growing awareness of, uh, of wanting to hear women's voices in panels and in, in conventions. And sometimes you, you at least I, <laughs> I, I'm aware that sometimes I'm, I'm invited as the woman. Uh, so, okay, that, that's also a stage. Um, there, there are in, interesting things that go on, like in Chutzat, in, in I think Tikkun Lel Shavuot is a big thing. Uh, in Israel, during uh, recent years, there's rabbis that, that used to run around between shuls and Tikkun Lel Shavuot uh, have another place in the year. It's Tikkun Lel Hoshana Rabba. Now, Tikkun Lel Hoshana Rabba is Tikkun Lel Shavuot on steroids because you could drive. So if you used to run around the neighborhood and walk for 35 minutes to the next show, now you, you drive to Tel Aviv, to the Shamron, to Jerusalem, all in one night. You give six shurim during that night. And when you see, uh, it, it's really a, a tremendous festival of, of shurei Torah all over the country. And when you look at the advertisement, from year to year, you see more rabbaniot, uh, women educators that are right there on the side of, uh, of real great men that, uh, that have been teaching all the years. And I think there's, I personally don't have a strong sense of, uh, of uh, underrepresentation um, in, in, in these occasions. Um, on the contrary, sometimes you know, you know they'd push the extra the extra woman because for, for the looks of it, uh, I'll just say that during Corona, that you know it was it was beyond steroids because we had those you know six seven eight shurim uh, during the night, one in Melbourne, one in Palo Alto, one in uh, Ranana, one at, you know like you were all over the world in one uh, in one night, so that was really amazing because it was all on Zoom, of course. Um, and looking, I guess, to the next level, you mentioned um, that you do feel sometimes like they come to you, um, I guess, you know, to have a woman on the panel. Looking to the next level to, I guess, increase that, the pool, what do you think can be done to encourage more women to take on leadership roles in our communities? I'm not a big believer in positive action. Meaning uh, it's not about deciding ahead of time that a certain percentage must be female, et cetera, et cetera. But the two tremendous powers that, that play a role, and once they're there, things already happen. One 
is simple avatora and a yearning for learning and development on the side of the women. And now we're talking about young women. Okay, so if you gave you give proper exposure and and you give the people a sense of, of, of what's hiding there, right? What what unbelievable treasures. So you always have uh, naturally you will have just like by men, uh, some percentage of women that say this is what I this is what I seek. This is what I yearn for. This is what I want to do even professionally. Not to mention people that, that say, I'm going to go be you know, a doctor, but I'll, I'll keep on learning my whole life. That, that's a, a tremendous goal for itself. But if we have the push from the women growing within Torah, and, and, and it happened over the last decade. It started with, uh, with Tanakh and Nechama Leibovich, and, and it went over to, to Gemara, and it went over to Halacha. And it's, it's a natural course of development uh, that says, this is my, my first language. It's not an acquired language. This is, this is my, my, uh, my essence. So naturally, I'm, that's where I'm creative, and that's where I grow, and that's where I want to do things in the world. So that's one push. And the other is recognizing need. I described before how coming to the Yotot program, I had no idea uh, about the sense of service, about, about what tremendous needs people have and, and how many problems should be solved and how many, how many conversations are not uh, taking place. And, and when you have an open eye for the need uh, and, and you're there to answer it, that's also a, a tremendous pull. And it's everything that has to do with family life. Um, not only strictly nida, but everything that has to do with family life. But by definition, uh, rabbis should continue dealing with it, and and women talmidot chachamim should be should be involved, like like other people, more professional uh, people from other sides. Um, Things like, um, I, I think I mentioned uh, times of grieving, okay? So just like there's a yoetza talacha, uh, people that, that give support in a community, that, that have the tools, the halachic tools, to, to surround you in, in, with all your needs in, in, in difficult times, that is a very natural role for a, for a woman that, that's versed in, in Torah. Um, of course, for years, for decades, there are there are tornot rabbaniot that have to do with the rabbinical court and and representing uh, cases of divorce, etc. There, there's a whole world of that the whole Torah world is concerned with of fi- finding solutions for for agunot, for mesoravot get, for uh, situations where uh, we we don't have enough halachic tools or. They're not implemented well enough. And there, the, the voice of a woman that learned Torah is, is essential because she represents part of the system there. And all these places where you can look out and say, where's the need? And of course, the, the classical educational need of, of connecting people to Torah, of, of connecting your own children to Torah, of having a house where the, the Torah discussion is a developed one, is a rich one. Uh, getting new roles doesn't, doesn't take away your classical roles. Uh, all these places. So I think that's the interplay between the push of people that that's that, that, that just yearn for, for higher Torah and more developed Torah and to, to work in the world through their Torah and, and have it affect the world with, uh, with the needs of people, identifying what services could you give to the community. 
And within that, hopefully, I hope I, uh, I'm not being naive here, that organic growth is, is, is the best. It doesn't mean that once in a while uh, a fight doesn't have to occur, you know. Uh, again, 30-something years ago, uh, the Rabbanut HaRashit was taken to court to enable uh, women to sit on the, the local religious councils uh, that take care of the of the, the ceramics in the in the mikvah of the just the services itself and and it's it's so simple and it's it, it's so clear that it had to happen, but things were stuck and they and they had to be sued. Okay, so once in a while you have to fight this major fight, but the true process, the the true growth and the and the development and the it's like it's like. You don't take someone and you drop them into a leadership uh, role in a community. It's something that that um, meshes into each other. It, it it grows in a in a, in a form of of combining the the wish to give Torah and to teach Torah with the needs of people, the services that they that they uh, that they need from from uh, from educators, from leaders, from Torah people. Uh, Robert Frankel, I, there's so much left to discuss, but um, I think that's all the time we have. Um, but just hearing, uh, you know, from your perspective, um, and just the way in which that you and your and your various colleagues, whether it be Anishma or, or Martin, sort of growing these these roles and and filling these needs in an organic way, um, I think is something that's being very well received here in Israel and, and is is spreading, um, and has been. Uh, certainly and personally inspiring to hear about. Um, so thank, thank you so you, much for your you. time um, and for it, speaking with it's us. It's my honor and my pleasure. Thank you so much. That's it for another episode of the Karen podcast. Uh, if people want to get in touch with us, Aryeh, how can they do so? They can find us on all social medias at Corin Publishers. You can email us at podcast at com, And of course, you can find Corin Publishers' various works that we've published together with Nishmat, as well as Matan, as well as by authors that Rabbanit Frankel mentioned, such as Sivan Rahav Meir, Rabbanit Yamima Mizrahi, and also Rav Shagar, all on our website at korinpub.com. Mm-hmm.